This podcast is brought to you by Grand Parkway Baptist Church, helping people to know, enjoy, and glorify God. For more information about Grand Parkway, visit grandparkway.org. Pray together, Lord. Thanks. That's who you are, and that's how you are. For Jesus, you said, you know, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Uh, you didn't give lectures to thirsty people about water. You said, come and get a mouthful of the juicy goodness of God, and you will never, ever, ever be the same ever again. You said, if anyone is is tired, let them come to me. Uh, And and all you that labor and are heavy laden, uh, because you're strong and you're kind. You're not overwhelming and inappropriate. You're accessible and available. And so now, Lord, as we ponder, as we look back on this past year, uh, let it inform how we live and and manifest in this new year. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us about something that we don't talk about enough in our culture and speak to us from your word and by your spirit in a way that glorifies you and prepares us. This is our prayer, God. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. And uh, normally at this point, I say, take your Bibles and open them too. But I'm going to be in a bunch of different passages because I'm going to continue a sermon that we started last week. It's turned into a three-part series that we'll finish next Sunday. And then we'll be back in the book of Daniel. Uh, but but uh, we're talking about remembering 2020. I know that uh, 2020, it's, it's the temptation is to get past that and kind of go, hey, we want to just get into 2021. Well, you're in 2021. Are you, are you markedly different yet? Uh, and, and, and so it's easy, and you just want to look back. Like, like for example, this happened. My family and I were on vacation in Boston. Our girls were, they, they weren't little. They were like, I don't know, 16 and 12 or whatever. And uh, we're, they want to go to Harvard and see Harvard. I'm like, okay, uh, overrated. Here it is. Uh, and here's the crimson. Here's the store. And we go down there. And while we're there, we, right across the street from the campus, the elite learning institute of the world, there's these three heroin addicts on the sidewalk. And they're, they're all leaning with their backs against each other, all holding cups, and they're panhandling for drug money. And we just, we were walking down the sidewalk, and my kids were visibly like, this is uncomfortable. Uh, and so we kind of walked around them. And we walked about 10 feet past, and I said, girl, stop. I want you to look back at that. And they were like, dad, I said, not being rude or anything, but, but just look at that. Just stare at that. No, I want to look at that. And my youngest is very sensitive. She's like, dad. And I said, but look at that. And here's what I'm telling you to look at that. Because when your friends say to you at some point in your life, hey, marijuana is no big thing, man. Everyone smokes. It's going to be legalized one day. You remember this because these people did not start off with their clothes hanging off of them, shooting heroin on a public sidewalk. They started off in the seventh grade and someone said, hey, man, you want to smoke? So stare at it. Remember it. We got to the hotel that night, okay? Our kids had separate rooms. My wife and I had our own room, and my wife was like, I thought that was a bit much. (laughs) Here's the way my wife, she says, here's the phrase that I know I'm in trouble. My wife says, we get in bed, and she says, can I pursue you on something? (laughs) I'm just like, whatever I'm doing, just stop doing it. Just take your whooping, okay? I said, no, I want our girls to remember to see. I'm not mocking those people. I'm not going to give them money, but I don't want my kids to look away from that like it's no big deal. Remember that. And so some of the hardest things like this past year was crazy. And the temptation is to kind of go, oh, 2020 and get into 2021. And I just want to say, hey, there's some things we should remember. We started last week. We're just doing one a Sunday because I want to just plunge deep on these and think theologically about these. And so last Sunday, we talked about the first point in the sermon that we were created for community. Okay, that's what 2020 has taught us. We were created for community. 
Uh, we are not created by God to be isolated. Uh, it is very vexing to the human soul and psyche to be locked up and locked down under your bed in your room. You're created to be in vibrant, life-giving relationships. That's why right now at all the classrooms upstairs, they are teeming with people that are enjoying biblical community and spiritual formation. That's what we were created for, okay? Today, I want to talk about the second point in the sermon. It's the only point I want to talk about. And let me just warn you, it's going to start off sounding bad, and then it's going to get better, and then it's going to get personal. <laughs> You're like, that sounds like a good fight at my house. Uh, uh, it's going to sound bad, but it's really good. You say, what do you mean? Here's the point. Here's the second thing you should remember about 2020. Humanity is as sinful as the Bible says. Humanity is as sinful as the Bible says. This is actually good news, so stay with me. You see, you say, well, what do you mean? One of the biggest problems in our world today is that we seek to explain the world, why the world is like it is, without using the word sin. Let me say that again. One of the biggest problems in our world today is everyone, politicians, preachers even, and people all seek to explain the world, the way the world is, without using the word sin. And I'm just going to submit to you, I don't think you can do that because sin is pervasively present in our culture, the consequences of sin. We lie, we cheat, we betray, we shade the truth because of sin and there's evidence of sin. Just this past week, you may have saw a story on the news and somebody texted me, would you see this, what did you think about it? And I wrote the same thing back. Both are evidence of sin. Here was the story. A girl, the story is a girl just graduated high school this past year, got accepted in her dream school, University of Tennessee, as a cheerleader on their cheer squad because they won the national championship last year. She wanted to go there. And back when she was 15, she made a brief Snapchat video, students, a brief Snapchat video where she used one word that is not great. She didn't call anybody this word, but it's such a word. You should never use this word. She's trying to be cool to her little friends. Look, I got my driver's permit. I can drive now. And what she said was sin, no doubt about it. A classmate got forwarded a copy of the Snapchat video, okay? Does anybody know how long a Snapchat video is? No, no, no. Yeah, the answer is forever, but they're only, it can only be like a 15 seconds long. They're not long at all, but they last forever. A classmate of hers got forwarded this thing. She was 15 now, by the way. Got forwarded this video. He said, and I quote, because the New York Times picked up on it. Oh my gosh, we got to get this girl kicked out of school. And they did. They picked up on, they ran this story, and the University of Tennessee, she had to withdraw from, from school because the classmate put it out there, and he said, and I quote, I held on to the video for a more opportune time, and I thought now is a good time to bring this to light. And I said to the person, I said, that's as simple, if not more than what the girl said. That girl's just being a kid in the moment. That is volitional. That kid sat on that, and now in this cancel culture, he's like, oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. And I just texted back to the person. I said, both are evidence of sin. The guy wrote back to me, what's your fascination with sin? I said, I'm not fascinated, but I'm aware of it. Matter of fact, I talk about this Sunday. Humanity is as sinful as the Bible says is one of the huge takeaways from 2020. Now, you may be thinking, okay, what's that got to do with 2020? Let me bring it down to where you live. This virus has some of you in this room wearing masks all the time. As people driving down the road in their car by themselves wearing a mask. I'm like, hello, hello, take it off. You're free. Uh, but anyway... Here's the thing. Here's what you got to think. You got to think biblically about everything that happens in your life. Otherwise, you miss these rich points and places of biblical application. Okay, this virus did not occur in nature. Okay, it wasn't like a bunch of. It occurred in nature, and it started spreading among the bat population. And these bats flew all over the world and spread this virus. No, 
This was created by human beings, made in the image of God, by the way. Stay with me. I'm not piling on a nation or a people or the Communist Party or whatever. This was created by intellectual human beings, made in the image of God, to use as a weapon against other human beings made in the image of God. This behavior by the people responsible is an expression of the sinful, fallen man. So it behooves us today to understand more about sin. So to help us understand more about sin, because our second takeaway when we remember 2020 is not pandemic, mask, lockdown, are you kidding me, shortage of toilet paper. I stood outside Sam's for 45 minutes waiting for them to open because my wife is like, hey, we got three women in this house. You need to go find toilet paper. I'm like, we're in a global pandemic. So there I am just moving up, and I'm thinking if they're out when I get there, I'm torching this thing to the ground. By the grace of God, there was some, and everybody survived. Uh, but to start with a definition, I'm standing in line for toilet paper. Look at me, because of sin. Not because of a shortage, supply and demand, but because of sin. Here's the way I define sin. This right out of Wayne Gruden's book, Systematic Theology, an introduction to biblical doctrine. It's a light read. It's 1,230 pages. And it's a tome. It's, like, it's as big as the dictionary, okay? But this is the way he, de- he defines sin. Great definition, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Let me say it again. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude. What do you mean attitude? Jesus said, we saw, well, I didn't do that. Jesus always takes sin and presses it inward and, it, and, and, and makes it the biggest deal, as big of a deal as it is. Like Jesus would say to people, you've heard of old, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. That's attitude. She says it, 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 it's any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Now, there's four things I want you to notice about this simple definition. Number one, the bar is really low. The bar is really low. What do you mean? Look at that word any. Sin is any failure to conform. Any any, if you ever once have sinned at all, you've sinned against it all. The Bible says it like this in James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. If anyone keeps the whole law, not that you could, but you failed in one point, you become guilty of all of it. So this is what I mean when I say to qualify as a sinful person, the bar is really low, so low that everyone qualifies. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Defining sin has nothing to do with man, man's opinion, or man's agreement. Let me say that again. Defining sin has nothing to do with man, man's opinion, or man's agreement. Here's what you'll hear a lot. Well, we're consenting adults. Or I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just engaging in a behavior that I enjoy. I, who, who am I hurting? No, when anytime you engage in behavior that falls short of or violates God's moral law, you are sinning. God doesn't consult anybody outside of himself to define or determine what is sin. Uh, does that make sense? See, that's the law coming to arrest some of you right there because of sin. No, 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 God doesn't go outside of himself. Because see, this is what we do. Let me unpack this a little bit. Sin has always been defined in relation to God and his moral law, never in relation to man and his thoughts, his opinions or feelings. And here's why this is important. Because left to ourselves, we would have no such thing as sin. There would be no sin, which is kind of where we are now. And one of the consequences that we have for that is we have no explanation for our behavior. 
Now, let me pause right here, pump the brakes, slow down. You're like, whoa, whoa. This is more teaching than preaching today. But I want you to understand this. Again, remember, here's the thing we're, we're kind of thinking about. Defining sin has nothing to do with man, man's opinion, or man's agreement. God doesn't say, hey, this is wrong. Wouldn't you agree? God doesn't ask questions the way we ask questions. Hey, wouldn't you agree this is wrong? Or don't you think? But no, God declares. God says, this is wrong. This is, why? Because of who God is. And so it doesn't matter what I think as a human being, what I feel, or what I, I can agree with that. That doesn't change the law of God one iota. You may be sitting here thinking, you know what? I, I kind of got my own system of belief. Who cares? Because where we are is be, be, because we've defined sin in relation to ourselves, we have no sin. We have no sin. People uncouple now. They don't get divorced because of sin. Can you imagine some famous people getting divorced and somebody say, hey, he was unfaithful. He committed adultery, which is a heinous sin, and that's why I divorced him. No, they uncouple. Wouldn't you want to uncouple? That just sounds sexy. I don't know what it is. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Here's the thing. So because we don't have sin, we don't have an explanation for our behavior. You say, I don't know what you mean. Ladies, imagine having lunch on Tuesday with a friend of yours. She's 47 years old. And she's divorced, which is not a bad, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's sin. It depends on your circumstances of your divorce. Jesus said, hey, if somebody commits adultery, you, you can be released if you choose to. You don't have to. But I say you have a friend who's consistently unhappy, ladies, and you have this, no, she's a tennis partner of yours. You have this gnawing sense that, you know, I, I think my friend Janie here doesn't know Jesus. And Janie's like, you know, I went out with this guy. He's a banker. He's a great guy. We went skiing in Colorado. It was fun. But I think I'm going to break up, and I just don't seem happy. I started off with one little pour of red wine and then two, and then now I'm up to a whole bottle every night. And then I chased that with a sleeping Pill. I've got anxiety. Don't feel good about myself. I went to Pilates. I quit. I don't. I don't know what. I'm just a mess. What do you think? And then you looked at her and said something akin to this: "Well, your problem is that you're a sinner." I mean, let's just start there. Prepare for her to inhale so hard <gasps> she sucks the hair off your head. You're like, oh, the vortex. Well, and you don't say it with a finger pointed and a you just kind of smile and go, hey, I think the problem is you're a sinner and you're separated from God. And because you're separated from God, you lack the moral restraint or the moral compulsion. Two good things you need to hear today. You lack, Janie, the problem is not that you're a bad person. By the way, we're all born sinners, Janie. So I'm not condemning you and exalting me. I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. And I'm telling you from experience, okay? You lack the moral restraint. Here's one of the evidences that you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and he restrains you. That doesn't mean you always do the right thing, especially when you first become a believer. But the longer you're a believer, you're so restrained by the Holy Spirit, and you so trust the Holy Spirit that over time, your desire to sin fades. And so you should ask yourself if you're a longtime Christian in the room right now, or if you're part of our online congregation, by the way, thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're here. Matter of fact, I'll be baptizing one of our little friends from our online congregation in the next, in the next couple of months. So if you're tuned in today, stay with me, okay? Don't get up and go get coffee. Sit back down on the couch, Brett Daniels. Don't you move. Uh, and, and, and so here's the thing. Ask yourself, do I have the moral restraint in other words, the longer I'm a Christian, the more the Holy Spirit restrains me, and I trust that restraint. So much so, I trust that restraint, the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in my life so much that my desires have changed. Like my 23-year-old asked me when she was home for Christmas, she goes, Dad, what's one of the differences in you and me? I said, you still desire to sin in ways that I don't. 
She goes, well, do you still desire to sin? Yeah, I desired like yesterday, like on, uh, yeah, I think it was yesterday or a day before, whatever it was, Friday. I desired to watch two great college football games, the two national semifinal games, and both of them were blowouts. I was just, and I said, I just wanted to escape for eight hours. And my wife wasn't sad by that news at all. She said, do you want to go in our room for eight hours and watch TV? Okay, see you tomorrow. I said, so I'm tempted to look to things to bring me comfort that can't bring me comfort, so I'm kind of consistently let down. And my daughter's like, I don't get that, but anyway. I said, yeah, but I don't, I'm not tempted to sin the way. And it's because I've learned to trust the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. So as a Christian, you have this, this restraining moral influence, but also you have this compulsion. You have the Holy Spirit compels you. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we're, uh, he says the love of God compels us because we're convinced that, that, that Christ died for all. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And so can you imagine saying to your friend, Janie, hey, Janie, here's the problem. Not that you're a bad person. It's not you haven't met the right person. It's not that you haven't found the right exercise class or the right therapist. Your problem at the core is you're a sinner. You're separated from God because because of this, you lack the moral restraint or the moral compulsion that only comes from having the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because you're not a Christian, you don't have these things, which is why you live like you do. Now, we live in a culture that says, oh, that is hate speech. And yet I read a Bible that says that is inviting love. That sets Janie free from digging these false wells for herself that hold no water. Because defining sin has nothing to do with man, man's opinion, or man's agreement. It's defined by God and his morality. God is a moral being. Here's the third thing I want you to know. Sin is pervasive. Sin is pervasive. Now, remember how we're defining it, okay? Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. That's your makeup, your constitution. When I say sin is pervasive, what I mean is pervasive means the entire person and all people. The entire person, totally, totally incapable. And all people. Sin isn't just our actions and attitudes, it's our very nature, which means this. Hear this phrase, that in our natural state of being, mankind is incapable of conforming to God's moral law. Let me say it again. In our natural state of being, mankind, all of humanity, anybody that's ever breathed is incapable of of conforming to God's moral law. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says we we were dead in our trespasses and sins, incapable of doing anything about that. This is important because what ails us cannot be fixed by behavior modification, change this action, uh, address this attitude. Our problem goes much deeper to the very core, to the very nature of our being, which is why the Bible refers to all of humanity as having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God or as sinners. Pervasive meaning the whole person and not only the whole person who's totally depraved, totally incapable, but all people. What do you mean all people? Every once in a while, someone will say to me, well, what about, you know, what, what about those good people that die in Africa and never hear the gospel? And I say, how many good people do you think there are in Africa? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's, I leave Africa out of it. How many good people do you think there are in America? Matter of fact, let, let's shrink it even further. How many good people do you think there are in this conversation right now? And, and finally, they go, well, what, what is your point? My point is there's no such thing as a good person. Why? The Bible says like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, 
because all sin. See, that's, sin is pervasive. And because we don't call sin, sin, we now adopt laws so that there is no such thing as lawlessness, which is why right now, as we said in this room, the DA, the newly elected DA that George Soros funded with his millions and billions of dollars that he earned from manipulating currency all over the world. By the way, if you've got a lot of money, please find something better to do with it than then get people elected who will not enforce the law. Because now in Los Angeles County, the district attorney says, oh, we're not going to press charges for that. Being in a gang, we're not going to press charges for that. And so because we have no sin, there is no lawlessness. No one's breaking the law. If no one's breaking the law, it's just a matter of time before you have to ask yourself, why do we still need the law? And so it sounds like prison reform, but that's why they say, oh, let's, let, let, let's just let people out of prison. Let's let people out of jail. And all you're doing is inviting more sinful behavior. So when you look back on 2020, you don't got to look far to kind of go, you know what, man is really as sinful as the Bible says. And look forward in 2021 as these progressive legislators take over, it's going to get worse. In the name of prison reform, we're going to do away with law because we as a culture and a society have lost the doctrine of sin. Here's the fourth thing I want you to know is that sin is destructive by nature. Sin is destructive by nature. Absolutely, but here's what I mean. It changes, and this is Wayne Grudem from the the big book. Uh, Grudem says sin changes the answer to three questions. What is true? What is right? Who am I? If you're a parent, you want to parent your kids around these three core questions of their being. What is true? What is right? Who am I? What is true? Number one, it goes to the basis for knowledge. This is why when when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, he questions the truthfulness of God's warning to Adam and Eve. Remember, God said to them, hey, hey, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but of this one tree, don't eat, because when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now, put a pin right there. I'm fixing to tell you something I think will be helpful. When the Bible talks about death, it's not talking about cessation of life as much as separation from God. Let me say that again. When the Bible talks about death, it's not thought, because when the Bible says, hey, if you eat this tree, eat fruit of this tree, you'll surely die. You know what people do? People eat the fruit and go, I didn't die. Must not be a God. I'm going to keep eating the fruit. No, and what happens is that person gets further and further and further separated from God. You say, where do you get that? From the Bible. That's why instead of killing them, what did God do? God expelled them out of the garden. He separated them from his presence. So oftentimes, not all the times, but, but a lot of the times when the Bible, and this is one of them, talks about death, it's not talking about termination because the wages of sin is death. And everybody in this room, if you've sinned before, raise your hand. Why aren't you dead right now? But let me ask you this. Have you ever sinned and you felt separation? Like, I don't feel as close to God as I used to. Yeah, because death is, is not termination. It's worse. It's separation. And the more you sin, the more separate you feel, the, the farther you feel from God. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 59 too, uh, he says to, to, to Israel, he says, your sins have cut you off. Your sins have separated you from God. And so when the Bible comes along and says, hey, what is true? God says, hey, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but of this one tree, you eat of this tree, you're gonna die. The serpent comes along and he, and he questions what is true. He goes, hey, surely did God say? And he said, well, God said we're gonna, he goes, you won't die. You won't die. Translation, there is no consequence for sin. Secondly, you should parent your children around this question. What is right? What is right? God said it was morally right for them to not eat of the tree. And sin says, you decide what's right for you. You're your own boss. I mean, who do they tell you what to do? It's your body. 
You got your truth? I got my truth? Who am I to judge you? What is right? God says it's morally right for you to obey me. Sin says it's morally right for you to decide what is right for you. The third question, who am I? This is who you are, okay? According to the Bible, you're created by God in the image of God, dependent on God, and subordinate to God. Sin says you can be God. You say, what do you mean? Remember what Satan said to them in the garden? He said, oh, God's afraid you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. There's nothing really new under the sun. And so, so, so when I say sin's destructive, I don't want to just be like, oh, sin's destructive. Write that down. You've never heard that. I want to get down in the nooks and crannies of all the ways that sin is corrosively destroying our lives. And don't just raise your children around those questions. Raise yourself around those questions. Now, remember when I told you that this would sound bad, but it was really good? Here is why. To all the sinners out there watching online, to all the sinners sipping coffee on your couch out there, which is all of us, by the way, I say this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy. Here's why you have to hold on to a doctrine of sin and for the pervasive nature of sin. It it, it has perverted the the, the totality of our being and every person living and who's ever lived. Here's why this is merciful. The saying is trustworthy and true and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, I feel a million miles from God. I've got great news for you. The incarnation that we just celebrated at Advent, the reason that Jesus comes into the world is to save sinners. And then it gets more personal. Paul says this, of whom I am the foremost. That means I'm the chief. I'm the biggest sinner anybody knows. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of all sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You should ask yourself in community groups tonight, is my life an example to everybody that knows me of the perfect patience of God? And and does my life give people hope, people that are unbelievers, that are stuck in sin, they look at me and go, man, if that guy can be forgiven. By the way, not only was Paul the chief of sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, uh, uh, not only that, but he recorded 13 books of the New Testament. So God uses people that are far from God. He reconciles them to himself, and then he uses these people in his plan for the world. So if you're sitting in this room or you're watching online or you're listening one day in the future, I want to say to you on the authority of God's word that not only does God have a plan for your life, he plans to involve you in what he's doing in the world. Say, I I, I don't get what you mean. How did Jesus save sinners? Because the wages of sin is death, okay? This is where dying has to come in because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Sins cannot be sent away unless some blood is shed. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8 says, For while we're still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. See, Jesus is not concerned about righteous people. So if you're self-righteous, you don't need Jesus. Or good people, you don't need Jesus. He's concerned with real sinners. Like I said this in an elder meeting one time. I confess to you. We were talking about things, and I said, remember those? They, they were popular 25 years ago, those big four-by-eight 
yellow signs with the arrow on top, and you can put letters on them and spell out whatever. I told the elders, I want to get about four of them put right out here on the side of the highway, and they just say, real life sinners every Sunday. Come see real sinners. And that idea got shot down. Wouldn't you like to be driving by a church and instead of we have a state-of-the-art nursery and climate-controlled blah, 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 and our kids' building smells like orange peel? Wouldn't you like to drive by and just, just real, see the bearded lady and the fire-eating midget in real-life sinners every Sunday? And I keep bringing it up. Matter of fact, I have an elder meeting tomorrow night. I'm going to bring it up again. We're talking about we're looking for a teaching pastor and we're looking for some signage. Why? Because that's the people Jesus came to save. Bible says it like this also, Isaiah 53, of Jesus, surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I told you this is going to sound good, sound bad, then it's going to get good. And I said it's going to get personal, right? This is where it gets personal. I want to close this morning by just talking about four things that this establishes. This, this being the crucifixion, the atonement, the fact that Jesus Christ dies for sinners. He, he's born into this world for sinners, and he dies in the place of sinners for sinners and their sin. Four things this establishes. Number one, a rich environment for evangelism. An incredibly rich environment for evangelism. We've got to stop limping out of 2020, just loathing, just, just, just overwhelmed with self-pity about how hard it was, and engage in evangelism. What, what, what do you mean evan- a rich environment for evangelism? Because, again, this, this is the one thing we're talking about today, we, we remember from 2020, is that humanity, All of mankind is as sinful as the Bible says. Because of that, all people are in need of a substitute since all are guilty of sinning against the holy God. And somebody said to me recently, they said, you know, you you talk about talking to waiters. I've been with you and you you do talk to me. I said, yeah, because I look at everybody through this one lens, this one question, what are they doing with their sin? I don't don't question, oh, they sin? Oh, yeah, of course they sin. We've all sinned. But how is this person getting, getting at peace with their sin? What are they trusting in to, to deal with their sin? That's the way I think in every conversation I'm in with people. See, what this establishes is a rich environment for evangelism. Secondly, there's good news, the gospel that I can believe in and live from. There's good news that I can only believe in, but I can live from that. If you want to have an interesting conversation before you go to bed tonight, just ask your spouse or your kids, what are all the ways I'm not believing the gospel right now? Honey, as much as you're aware of, what are all the ways of not believing the gospel right now? Parent your kids with that question. When your daughter is sad and she's in her room and she's just kind of like, I'm just sad. You know, my friends, blah, 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 blah. Just go and sit down to bed and don't say, oh, baby, dad feels bad. You want to go to the Sonic? You want to go to Starbucks? Don't rescue your kids from the gospel. Say to your kids, hey, in what ways are you not believing the gospel right now? What, 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 what do you mean? Someone asked me recently, a friend of mine, he said, hey, you have concerns about your kids in this world and blah, blah, blah. I said, I mean, I'm, I'm like everybody else. Yeah, I look around, I go, this is jacked up. I said, but I'm, I'm believing the gospel where, where, where in, the, in Psalms he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. 
And so I said, I pray all the time, God, I don't want my seed, I don't want my children begging for the bread or relationship or acceptance or affirmation or popularity. You said in your word, and I'm believing that. That's the gospel. And the guy's like, oh, where is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, the righteous, that's me. I'm not going to be forsaken, and my kids aren't going to have to beg for what they need. He goes, man, you get excited about that. And I just believe the gospel. The, the gospel is not just the doorway that you open to get into Christianity. It is the air you breathe. And you need to get gospel fluent to how you think about it. Here's the third thing. Put a star by this one. Here's what this establishes, that being defensive makes no sense whatsoever. Being defensive makes no sense. If you believe in the atonement, if you believe that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and he accomplished that, ask yourself, think just for a little bit. I know it's the new year. You're like, dude, lighten up. Shouldn't you be giving us resolutions? No. The gospel is news. It's not advice. I got no advice on how to survive and thrive in 2021. Turn on your TV when you get home today. It'll be full of that. But being defensive makes no sense. Uh, I'm not good at counseling. You should never come and see me. You should write it down right now. Go see Wade. Go see Blake. Go see Travis. Go see Clyde. Go see anybody. Go see your therapist. Do not come to me because I say crazy things. Like this past week, like two weeks ago, a man was being very defensive, and his wife was sitting there, and he was being all defensive, and I said, hey, could you, could you just apply the atonement to your defensiveness right now? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, if you really believed in the sufficiency of the atonement, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, would you be so defensive? I'd like you to apply the atonement to your defensiveness. That doesn't make any sense. I said, maybe this makes sense because you're just trying to apply, to just get Jesus down off the cross and just say, oh, Jesus, let's take you home and get you cleaned up. You don't need to do this. I mean, defensive people don't need Jesus. They just need time to explain everything. And I said, you don't need Jesus. You're the guy getting Jesus off the cross going, let me come to my house. You can take a shower. God's blood off you. This is so unnecessary. And here's the reality. You're not trying to clean up Jesus. You're trying to clean you up. You're defending yourself from the fact that you are as much of a sinner as the gospel makes you out to be. And his wife is going, yes, yes. And he's like, y'all are teaming up on me. I said, I'm not siding with your wife. I'm siding with the gospel. Stop crying. Why do you waste your life being defensive? If Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, shouldn't you be liberated by that anytime your sin is exposed? Shouldn't you say, you know what? I'm just trying to defend myself because I don't believe the gospel right now. It's not because I'm a bad person or I want to get away with sin. I don't believe the gospel and I don't enjoy the fruit of the gospel. That's my biggest problem. But he didn't say that. He spent the next 10 minutes trying to explain to me. And I said, why are you trying to explain? Does he do this all the time? And so I said, all the time. He's never wrong. Oh my gosh, this must be exhausting. She goes, I've contemplated divorce, not because I don't love my husband, but he's never wrong. If you are never wrong, then Christ's death on the cross is a waste. And he looked at me and said, I don't think you know how to do this. And I said, great, go see somebody else. You think I'm sitting down here? And I'm like, please, God, send me more people who don't believe the gospel. And it's not I'm right or you're right or you're wrong or I'm wrong. It's I'm trying to set you free, but you don't have to be defensive. What the atonement establishes that you can just glory. 
You could just, oh my gosh, I'm trying to defend myself because I want to save face. And even that is sin, honey. Would you please forgive me? Can you imagine being in a marriage like that? <laughs> I'll take from the looks on your faces. No. No, we can't. You know what I used to say to my kids? I still do. Uh, I'd, I'd come to the dinner table and I'd go, anybody want to hear what dad screwed up today? And my kids are like, yes. He said, why do you do that? Because my kids think I walk on water. They think God wakes me up in the middle of the night and he and I go to the prom together. I mean, seriously. They're like, I mean, Dad, you have these intimate experiences. I thought, oh, we like each other. Whoo, I love me some Jesus, girls. But I don't want them to think, I'd like, oh, I totally screwed this up today. You will not believe I thought this and I was dead wrong. And that wasn't, and I tell them this, and that wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part that not only was I dead wrong, the worst part is, is that Wade Burgess was right. And I had to admit that. And they go, is mom ever right? Oh, your mom's right a lot. Do you admit that? Oh, yeah, I celebrate it. And they go, mom, is that? No, I wish your dad was more different, but he's not. He glories when he screws up. And they look at me and they go, why do you do that? And I went, because Christ has atoned for all my sins. Why would I waste my life hiding behind them? Why would I be checking the knot in my little suit of fig leaves? Oh, I'm good. I'm covered up. No. The gospel both exposes me and ransoms me. Why would I ever act like that wasn't enough? Can you imagine students hearing your dad say to your mom, you know what, honey, I am really tempted to be defensive right now, and that's an offense to the gospel, and it's an offense to you. Thank you for pointing out that I just, I'm wrong. Y'all look like you walked out of Walmart and forgot where you parked. You're like, keep looking, kids. It's here somewhere. Yes, this is what gets established. Is that being defensive makes no sense whatsoever. Here's the last thing. Jesus took everything I deserve. Therefore, there's nothing to fear and much to enjoy. Jesus took everything I deserve. Look, look at back at Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs. This is, here's my confession. I, I don't think this is a, a sin of commission, but omission. I never saw this until the past couple of weeks I was studying for today. Just asking God, hey God, what do we, what do we need to remember 2020? Oh, humanity is sinful. This virus is not about geopolitical posturing. It's about sin. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You know what that means? Look at me. Look at me. What that means is that surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. In other words, we looked at the cross and said, what did that guy do to tick God off so bad that God wanted to kill him? That's how short-sighted and self-focused we are. Man. What did Jesus do to tick off God that he got killed? The answer is nothing. The answer is that you and I angered God by being born sinners who violate his moral law by nature and by choice, and he wants to kill you for it. And he's just in doing so. Absolutely. And Jesus dies in your place. If you and I did not deserve to die, then why does Jesus have to die? That's the wonder of the gospel. And Jesus dies. And we are cocky 
and arrogant and self-loving, self-exalting people, we looked and thought, oh, he's smitten by God. He's afflicted. This is why he's getting killed up there on that stick. He took everything I deserve. Therefore, there's nothing to fear and much to enjoy. When I was in seminary, which is like grad school for preachers, I had a professor in my class. His name was Dr. Roy Fish. The great guy I was in his accountability. He asked me to be with a small group of guys that met with him. And on occasion, he would say, hey, Neil, why don't you come up? Let's spend time together, just you and I. It was glorious and terrible all at the same time. He was 63 years old, which at the time I thought was ancient. He was kind of weird. I was a grader in seminary, so I would get to go on the faculty lounge. Dr. Fisher would take his trousers off and lay them over a chair and lay down and take a nap every day with his dress shirt and tie and his shoes and socks. I'd be like, you old people are weird. And he would say, I don't like to wrinkle my trousers. Like, man, I, I can't unsee that. Get your pants on. Uh, your legs have never seen the sun, okay? Do something about that. Uh, but I'd go in his office, and I'd go up there and sit down, and he would just say, let's just, let's just look, let's, let, let's look on each other for a moment, Neil. I'd say, what? And we would just look at each other. And i start to talk. He'd go, let's don't fill the air with words. Let's just look on each other. And then he would say things like, he'd close his eyes, go refresh me with where you are in the Word. I was like, uh, I remember one time I was reading the book of Ephesians, and, and I, I, he asked me probably four months later. I told him, Ephesians, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really meditating on this. Four months later, I said, Ephesians, and he said, I'm not refreshed by something stale. And then I was just scrambling. <laughs> well, in the beginning, God, and he goes, no, no, no. But here's the thing that stood out to me about this cat. He loved hymns. He loved them. He knew them. Not all the popular. He knew obscure hymns, and he loved to sing. He asked me one time, he said, Neil, does the cross bring you wonder or fearful dread? And I said, like, ah, well, you know, I started reciting all my sins. He goes, no, no, no. The cross brings, I asked it because the cross seems to bring you dread, not wonder. And then he just burst into song. And he would fold his arms on his chest and lean back in his chair like he was making out with himself. And I was like, ugh. It's like, and he would just sing, and he would just invite me to sing. He said to me early on, he goes, why don't you know this song? I, I don't know. I know some, yeah, I don't know that one. And he said, well, get a hymn and learn this one. And the hymn was called And Can It Be. It was his favorite hymn. So much so that I graduated, I, I had it printed on linen cardstock with a nice custom frame and gave it to him. He just folded it against his chest. He goes, oh, I love all the truths contained in these words. Like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <clears throat> I just want an A, uh, but I remember that day we're sitting there and he's talking about the cross and he's to bring you wonder or dread. And then he just starts singing these words. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? And it's not one of those hymns. First of all, I mean, he's singing, first of all. There's just two of us in the room, and right outside the door is this greater, this blonde named Marcy, that I'm like, I don't want her to hear me singing. That's kind of creepy and weird. I don't know that lady, but, I mean, this is weird. Two guys in here singing, and he, he would just keep his eyes closed, and he just sang it out loud. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and he folds up, Jesus and all in him is mine. 
And I was like, and he would do this, which meant, come on, Neil, let's sing. One time he opened his eyes and he said, hey, Neil, be a man who sings. Your children, I'm single at the time. And I'm thinking, dude, you take your pants off and take naps. I'm rocking these cool silver tab Levi's right here. Remember silver tab Levi's, anybody? That was the thing back then. And he said, be a man who sings because your children want a father who sings. And he just kept on. He got to that part. He was alive in him, my living head, and clothed and right. And then he got to, he said, bold I approach the glorious throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. And he opened his eyes. He goes, Neil, have you claimed the crown? Are you wearing the crown today? Are you walking in the righteousness of all that the cross accomplished for you? It's possible to be so ignorant you're sad. And I just cried because I was just ignorant. Not like, I'm bad, not smart. I just, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you got to claim the crown, Neil. Through Christ your own. And he went right back. Amazing love, how can it be? And I just thought, this old man knows something I don't, and he seems to enjoy it. Here's what he understood that I didn't. That Jesus had taken everything that he deserved. And therefore, there was nothing for him to fear and much for him to enjoy. And I just wondered today, have you claimed that crown? Are you still busy defending yourself? Every time someone brings up your sin, just hauling Jesus down at the cross. This is so unnecessary, Jesus. Stop bleeding. Come on, I know a good doctor. Or do you just trust the efficacy of the atonement, which is necessary because man is as sinful as the Bible says? Let's pray together. Father, we like to just take a moment and just think about what you've said to us. And so, Lord, just brood over us for a brief moment before we dismiss. We have to, we have to talk about sin. Not because no one else is, not talk, is talking about it, but that's true, but because the Bible talks about it. It is the only explanation for a Savior. Because without sin, what does He come to save us from? Not reaching our potential? That's heresy. Jesus Christ comes into the world to save sinners of whom right beneath the apostle Paul, I am the chief. And so Lord, just brood over us for a moment. Father, because of Jesus, we can claim the crown and wear the crown. We walk into glory one day and throw the crown at the feet of you, Jesus, and say with all the witnesses of heaven, with your blood, you purchased men for God. When no one was found worthy to break the seal, you were worthy because with your blood you purchased men for God. So thank that you made this mine, but this belongs to you. Thank you, God, that that's, that's what awaits those that know you. Thanks that sin is, is as pervasive as the Bible says it is, and the cross is as sufficient as the Bible says it is. Those are great realities. We're grateful for them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for your presence today and your attentiveness.
uh, uh, I, if you're our guest today, hope you've had an opportunity to pull one of those guest cards in your seat back pocket row. If you would, just fill it out before you leave and drop it on the wooden boxes by the door so we have a record of your attendance. Uh, and if today's the day, if you consider this your church and today's the day you worship God uh, through giving, then that's where you take care of that as well. Uh, we'll be available down front if you have any questions. Uh, uh, we have a few things going on in the life of our church we want you to know about. So give your attention to the screens right now for our announcements. Thank you for joining us today. Here's a few things we want you to know. With the new year comes new opportunities for connection and growth. Community groups, midweek studies, Sunday morning Bible studies. Each of these can be found on our website at grandparkway.org events. Go there to find out more. While you're at our website, you can also take a look at our latest building updates and watch a live stream of our progress. We believe that the gospel produces a community of people who are on a shared mission, and central to that mission is to be a blessing. As we begin a new year, be praying about how you will serve in the church's mission. Here's a look at one way you can be involved. Hi, I'm Cam Frazier, and I'm the student pastor here at Grand Parkway. Despite all the setbacks that COVID tried to throw at us over the summer, we had a great fall semester in student ministry, and we look forward to serving our students in a much more impactful way in the spring. This Wednesday, January 6th at 6 p.m. in the warehouse, we're having a parent night. This is a great opportunity for you to hear our vision for students, meet your student small group leader, and ask any questions you may have of us. Our student ministry is growing, and with that increases our need for incredible volunteers. If you have a desire or a calling to serve in student ministry, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at students at grandparkway.org. Thanks for letting us serve your students, and have a great Sunday. If you're new, we would love to know that you're here. Please find one of our pastors at the front of the stage at the conclusion of our service. Before you're dismissed, uh, I want to acknowledge that I went about 10 minutes over this morning, not on purpose. I just want to lay a good foundation in you uh, for what the Bible says about sin so that when you're in conversations, you can recognize people's theology of sin. Uh, that's not an apology as much as an acknowledgement, okay? Uh, if you have any questions about anything you heard today, or if you're mad that I went over, I'll be right here. You can come tell me. Uh, and, and I'll feign interest. Uh, no, no, I just want to acknowledge, we, we don't try to be long-winded. Uh, I, just, I just want to say everything the Bible says. So stand to your feet. I'd like to speak a blessing over you. Hold your hands out. <laughs> Claim the crown and wear the crown. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you.